0: Good morning, how's everybody today? All right, praise God, amen? Let's open up our Bibles to First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1, we're going to go to the next few verses, 12 through 17 today. And it's an amazing passage. It's really one that just sits right and hits right at the core of the gospel message as to what it is that God came to do in the form of Jesus Christ and how he came to save a wretch like me. And it's amazing when we think about all the people that you may know, people that have gone on before us that have, uh, that have been converted. You probably know many people that have had some sordid passes and some uh, very ugly passes. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the song that we sang a little bit ago, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me was written by, uh, by uh, I forget his name now, but anyways, he was a slave trader into Africa, and he did some awful, god, god ugly things, and uh, how he caused people to come and uh, and and to be brought from other places uh, that from around the world, and, and one day the grace of God just got a hold of him, and he repented, and he did everything he could to, to get away from him and and cause at least to give back uh, what what he could, and, and he in his in his ability to to remember that God saved him, a wretch. And he knew what he was talking about. He was blind to to the grace of God. He was dead to the grace of God. And God's grace just got a hold of him one day on a ship. Uh, Newton was his last name, I remember now. But anyways, uh, God God got a hold of him and just transformed his life. You'll you'll probably you probably know a lot of people uh, in your midst that you've probably seen grow up in the in the in the church and in the faith. Uh, One such person uh, is a good friend of mine that uh, just passed away this last week. His name is Diaz and I wanna. I'm going to be sharing some words uh, at his funeral this this uh, this week because I saw him. He came in. He was lost and totally blind, and and all he wanted to do was to get married. And he says, "You know, the best place to find a wife is in church." So I thought I'd come to church to find me a wife, and and uh, lo and behold, he found uh, he found a savior and uh, caused him to transform his life. And of course, you know, like everyone else, we, we think, "Okay, well, he's he had ulterior motives," and um, and you know, it's it's amazing on how God works because he was going to a class on. Uh, English is a second language because he had just arrived here from from across the board. He arrived here from Mexico, and, and he was trying to learn English, and he met some girls there, and none of them wanted anything to do with him. And one of the ladies says, hey, let's go to a church. And she says, I heard of this church, and she came to church, and he was there. And they, hey, you're chasing me. No, I'm not. Well, long story short, they both got married. And uh, they served the Lord faithfully. He, uh, I was, I had the privilege of discipling him, watching him grow, and uh, and he became a pastor of a church, and uh, just amazing on just what God can do to a person that surrenders to the ministry or to the lordship of jesus christ over and over again you'll hear testimonies powerful testimonies of men that were drug addicts that were gang lords that were uh women that were prostitutes and uh you know the drug addicts gang bangers and you have you have over and over people that have that you know personally and maybe you don't and uh, some people have shared their testimony here and i'm not going to share their testimonies i'm going to let them do it themselves but it's it's just amazing and how god just reaches down to the lowest of the low those that people think that are, are worthless of society and have has transformed their lives now before we get any further than that we can honestly and we can genuinely see the conversion of a drug addict, of an alcoholic, of an abusive husband, of a, you know, we can see that. We can see a genuine trans, uh, transformation of Mary Magdalene that apparently had demons inside of her, was a woman of the streets, and and how she came before Jesus Christ, and she cried and poured her tears out on his feet and broke the jar of alabaster. And we can, we can see the dramatic transformation that takes place in a person like that. But do not be fooled, beloved, just because you don't come from that background, just because you're not that type of a person person just because you've never uh, participated in those types of uh, habits and and all all those things that uh, the world seems to lay out there does not exclude you we are all sinners the bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and we're all at enmity with god before he saves us each one of us have gone our own way And uh, whether you say one lie, or whether you are uh, a gangbanging murderer, you are a sinner. And uh, one sin, of course, is is just going to get you to the point where nobody will trust you anymore, to where the other sin, once caught, is going to cost you your life. You'll spend the rest of your life in prison, or possibly even uh, your life taken from you as well. So, The consequences are different between the sins, but the sin is still the sin. We are all sinners. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy, because as I mentioned before, he's talking to Timothy, he's sharing with Timothy uh, on how it is that he's supposed to conduct himself within the church, the leaders that he's supposed to raise up, the teaching that he's supposed to do, and how he ought to talk to people. And uh, he has this idea and he has this theology which we call apologetics. Now apologetics isn't meaning going out and saying you're sorry I apologize. apologize." Apologetics is is confronting or talking or or basically just uh, trying to help somebody see the truth. And defending the truth basically is what it is. You're defending your stance. And in in theology and in Christendom, in the Bible, we are defending the word of God. And so as we defend the word of God, we use the word of God to be able to communicate the word of God, to uh, spread the word of God to other people. Now, in the church where, where Timothy was at, there was other people that were doing their own thing for their own selfish motives, their own selfish reasons. They wanted the notoriety. They wanted the pay. They wanted the attention. They wanted the people to come across around them. And so they were doing it for other motives. And we'll see some more of this as we go along. But so what, what Paul does, he says, you know, this is what you need to teach Do this, you know, the law is good. We talked about this last week in verse 8. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly, the sinners. And we went through all this list that uh, we were talking about last week. And in verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now, remember, these letters were just letters written. There are no chapters, there are no verses, there are no headings, and so when this letter was written to Timothy, it goes continuously from verse 11 to verse 12. Early in the 1600s, when the Bible started to get printed to make things a little bit easier, they started putting chapters, and there was already natural divisions that the fathers had put in there to help us to find certain portions of Scripture. But this letter was a letter, and that's why it's called an epistle or the letter to Timothy. And from verse 11, let me me just go once again. It says, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immoral, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that this verse can just resonate within us right now, that we are at one point in our life, we were at that point, we were just totally away from you, but you reached down and you rescued us you pulled us out of that miry pit and set us on solid ground and father as paul is sharing this with timothy he he's talking about these men that are perverting the gospel message and and he is recognizing and remembering how the gospel message was brought to us through the glory through you our blessed god which which you have entrusted him and us to be able to communicate and he sings into this this Praise and, and showing himself as as he knows himself to be, Lord, help us to understand this, that we too, at one point in time, we are, we are in the same spot in the same position as Paul is, and so Father, I pray that you lead us through this study today, so we can learn deeper more and and dive deeper more into your grace and into your love and into the faith that you have given us. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen, and Amen. As I said. Paul is sharing with Timothy, look, you know, I I can attest, I can attest to what God has done. I can because He's done it in my life. We're going to see the the life of Paul prior to getting saved and prior to God knocking him off uh, off his feet onto the ground. But the first thing I want to point out to you is number one in your outlines. Paul says, "I thank God for His strength. I thank God for His strength." It is amazing and how people are so burnt out, and and so so many people are so worried and anxious and they're so just tired from this world and uh, you know it reminds me of when my mom was alive and and I used to go visit her and she says how you doing son I said oh, I'm just tired she goes what is wrong with you guys you know my, my nephews and my nieces they, yeah, all of the, all the young kids everyone how you doing I'm tired you're tired I'm tired man I you and then she breaks off on the things she's done and things she's doing you're tired you're so young how can you be tired <laughs> Oh, she let me have it. You know, as a 65-year-old guy now, I mean, I can still feel the, the shame and her, you know, <laughs> telling me stuff like that. Why are you tired? But you know what? What happens is when we get tired is because we're not trusting and relying on the, the strength of the Lord. People in this world, that are going on their own strength and not even relying on the strength of the Lord, not relying on what Jesus Christ has given them, this supernatural strength. And it's supernatural, not in a sense where you become a hero, a supernatural hero, where you can fly or pick up buildings and cars, but it's a strength that carries you through the day. And I know that some of you have gone through some horrific things in your life. You have gone through some terrible testimonies I'm sure that you have because of things that have happened to you uh, because of you or maybe not uh, of no no consequence because of what you've done because of others and Paul is saying, you know, I just thank God that he's given me this strength. We're going to find out later that Paul, as he was a missionary, people didn't want to hear him. They beat him up, left him for dead. He died on one occasion. He was stoned. He was beaten with sticks. He was whipped at least three times. And, and over and over again, he's being beat up. And, and he's walking all crooked because of a, of a back or whatever the case may be in his life. And he's walking in such a way that he can't even get around much. But he says, you know, and, and, he, tells, and he tells God, he says, you know, I, I, I pray that you just help me with this as we'll see here in just a bit. And, and Paul is just excited about the fact that he's able to, first and foremost, you know, thank you, Lord, that you've given me the strength, you know, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful. And he's not only thanking him for the strength, but he's thanking him for the opportunity to be of his service. And, and, and think about this. Here's Jesus Christ. He's talking to these men. He says, come, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers and men. Oh, and by the way, don't bring anything with you. Oh, yeah, and by the way, I don't have anything to give you. I can't pay you. You leave your business, leave your fishing business, leave your taxes, leave your wood-waking business, everything that you do, leave it. your farmer, leave it behind, let your dad take care of it, your family take care of you. You just come follow me. How much are we getting paid? Nothing. Where are we going to live? Wherever we can, where we can find. You know, and by the way, what you're going to preach, people ain't going to want to listen to. They're going to hate you. As a matter of fact, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill me, and they're going to kill you too. So come follow me. That's the message that he had. And every one of these disciples that witnessed the death of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, they left. They all ran. But when they saw the resurrected Christ, they stood up and they followed him. They said, this is the Messiah. And each one of them died a very horrific death. One was boiled in oil. Another was sawed in two. They were fed to lions. They were stoned. They were clubbed to death because they would not renounce Jesus Christ, and that carried on, and that carried on. And Paul says, yeah, I I, I just, I thank you, God, for giving me the ability to serve you in such capacity. Today, we can't even get people to come to church because it rained, or it's too hot, or it's too cold, or it's too far, or it's too early, or it's too late. Uh, it's the, the Super Bowl. I don't know. It's the football game, I, whatever the case may be. And it is amazing that what these men and women went through In the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, but beloved, if we can just have people that are so fervently in love with Jesus and being able to do whatever it is that he's called us to do, guess what? He will give you the strength. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, one of my favorite verses, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You wait upon him, you wait upon him, and your strength will be renewed. You will mount up with wings like eagles. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not be faint. And God will give you the strength to carry on in your, in your outlines in 2nd Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And this is Paul talking. And, and he tells the people in Philippi in Philippians 4:13: I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now remember, this verse is. Tattooed on people's arms, it's plastered on people's bumpers, it is placed in stickers and windows. We have plaques on the wall. I can do all things. You know, I have a competition this weekend and I want to be the fastest. Well, you know, the Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So go. This is not for your own personal pleasure, this is not for your own personal agenda. This is not for your own personal goals. I've got a a quota to meet this week. I've got to sell so many homes. I've got to sell so many policies. I've got to do so many things. Well, I can do all things through Christ. That's not what this verse is talking about. Please do not use it in that sense. Paul is in prison. Paul is trying to get the message out. And he's saying, you know what? I can do this. I can do this because God has given me the strength. Because of the strength that Jesus Christ gave every one of the apostles, he's given to me, I can do this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, does that uh, that mean not mean that he's not going to help you? Well, I don't know. He might. He might not. But you can't claim that verse for that selfish, self-centered reason. You claim it to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what that verse is talking about. And so we look at these verses and, and we see that Paul was always, as I mentioned earlier, he had this... This thorn in his side—he had this disability of some sort. We don't know what it was. Some people say it was a literal thorn; something got stuck in his side when they clubbed him to death or tried to club him to death. Some people say it was his eyesight because he couldn't see well. Some people say that you know uh, he was hunched over because they beat him up with rocks, and and he was going through this pain. And the Bible says that Paul prayed three times. Now, I personally do not think—and I mean, it could be—I could be wrong—and this is just my own personal opinion—but I personally do not think that Paul just sat down by his bed, and, Lord. Please take this thorn away from me today. Thank you. Amen. And he went to bed. And then he got up the next morning and prayed it again. Okay, Lord, I have this thorn in my side. Can you please just take it from me? Amen. I personally believe that Paul, when he says, I prayed, and he prayed three times, I think maybe he might have fasted at least for 10, 40 days. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that he prayed fervently this was an ailment. This was something that was hindering him. He couldn't get to, to different places because of this ailment. Whatever this thorn was, it was causing him a lot of pain that he fervently cried, I believe, and fasted at night and in the day, Lord, remove this thorn from my side. Because it's a messenger from Satan. It was some, some type of a, a spiritual attack that was just attacking him and attacking him and knocking him down. And he says, Lord, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know I can do this. And as he prayed and as he prayed, Paul, Paul finally finds the answer from God. And God says to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, God, God says, my grace is sufficient. That's all you need. You don't need this taken away. You don't need, you need my, you you have enough grace and I've given you sufficient grace and even more abundant grace on top of the grace that I've given you. And so Paul is, is excited about the fact that he's got this weakness. He says, You know what? I've got this weakness now. And I'm, t- I'm sharing that with everybody. And God has given me the strength to drag my leg or to whatever it was that was causing this, this uh, pain, this ailment. And he says, I thank God for that busted hip or my broken back. Or I thank God for what he's doing in my life because he's given me the strength to carry forward. What is God doing in your life that you think it's a punishment? or what do you think how do you think god is disciplining you why do you think god doesn't like you or doesn't bless you what what is he doing in your life do you not realize that as paul that whatever it is that you're going through right now that you're you know it seems like it's holding you back it's really your greatest strength you lead through your weaknesses Unfortunately, we've been taught to fall and depend and to cause and to use this weakness as an excuse. Well, I can't because I, whatever, I can't. And you fill in the blanks because I'm this, I'm that, whatever. I can't. Paul, they wouldn't say that. He says, you know what? Jesus said, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul is he, he, he lays it out i thank him i i thank him who gave me strength christ jesus our lord because he judged me faithful first of all appointed me to this service of martyrdom and we'll find out that these are the last letters that he wrote and not long after this uh he was uh he was beheaded and he, he tells timothy he tells him later he says you know i fought the good fight I, I i did i did what i came to do and i know i see the end of my life i see it coming to a quick fruition it's going to happen number two he says i thank god for his mercy though formerly i was a blasphemer a persecutor insolent opponent but i received mercy because i acted ignorantly in unbelief he says i i I was i was that type of person that you, you know i was ignorant a blasphemer a blasphemer is one that that curses god or curses the holy spirit The Bible says that Jesus himself said, you know, every sin will be forgiven. Every sin will be forgiven. The only sin that's not forgiven, the unpardonable sin is what it's called. Some people think it's murder. Some people think it's adultery. Some people think it's, you know, cheating on your taxes. Uh, The government will tell you that, the unpardonable sin. Some people think it's whatever the case may be. But Jesus Christ identified and he says, if you blaspheme, speak against, if you speak against in, in such a way that the Holy Spirit is actually demonic, is actually, uh, is coming from Satan himself. And it's unholy. When a person speaks against the Holy Spirit in such a manner, the Bible says, God can't forgive that. And the reason people would do that is because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ain't working in their life. So when they die, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, this is not how it happens. You know, I'm just kind of sharing this with you. But Jesus Christ is going to check every heart and say do you have the holy spirit yeah come on in you have the holy spirit come. it's kind of like a scanner i think it you know it's going to be this, this heavenly scanner and you've got this seal on you the holy spirit seals you and you've got this seal and as it goes across the scanner it goes beep yep beep yep beep, nope nope beep bleep, nope nope nope. i mean there's going to be a lot of nopes and why because they blasphemed against the holy spirit they want nothing to do with him he's the you know i got my own thing to do i got my own agenda leave me alone that was god that was paul excuse me actually his name was saul that was saul saul thought he was doing right saul thought he was uh, uh, you know helping god out saul really believed he was on the right track he was a persecutor of people and uh, we'll see here this in just a little bit he was an insolent opponent going up against Jesus Christ, but I received mercy. Mercy is Mercy is, there's a lot of ways of saying mercy in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. God is merciful. God's mercy is to his elect. God's mercy is those to whom he loves. He gives mercy to whom he desires to give mercy, and he doesn't give mercy to whom he doesn't want to give mercy. Mercy is given to those who are his, and mercy is different than grace. Grace is unmerited. You cannot earn that. You can't get it, but mercy you can call out for. You can call out for mercy. For instance, let me just take you to the book of Psalms real quick. And I just want to, the book of Psalms, chapter 32, 32 and uh, chapter 36, I think. But uh, yeah, chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse 1 and 2, it says uh, in Psalms, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David here was singing this song and knows that he was a sinner. And he says, you know, I thank God that he counted me worthy. Look at chapter 36. Uh, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in their heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For the flames, for he flatters himself in his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Verse 38. O Lord, Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has come down on me. David was experiencing this, uh, th- this oppression from God because of his sin, and he's saying, don't count me. Give me mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. Do not give me what it is that you're trying to give me. One more, one more place. In, um, in chapter 51, Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. He's not asking for grace. Grace can't be given. Grace isn't earned. Grace has to be, uh, God God is the one that gives grace. You can't get grace by yourself. And he's asking for mercy. Mercy has always been a pity. Uh, It's also translated as pity or compassion or, you know, mercy is, Mercy is you deserve this punishment. You deserve this punishment, but I'm not going to give it to you. And I've, I've tried to equate it kind of like a, a police officer pulling me over for speeding. And uh, I, I'm, if I get a ticket, that's justice. I, justice would serve. I broke the law. And the punishment is I have to pay this fine. Mercy is if the cop pulls me over and he says, you know, instead of giving you a $300 fine, you know, I'm going to let you slide. You deserve this. You deserve this. But you're not going to get it. I have pity on you. I mean, look at your car. It's like I don't even think you have fifty bucks, man. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to put another. Like, just, just take it easy, okay? I, I have compassion for you. Uh, as one police officer once told me, "I'm tired. I'm going home. I don't want to mess with this." And he was talking about my. Well, never mind. And I'm going to let you go this time. But you better not do that again. <laughs> and and sometimes they have compassion on you for whatever reason. That's mercy, not getting what you deserve. Now if that police officer were to pull me over and say, you know what, you were speeding. I'm not going to give you a ticket. And also I'm going to let you slide. But on top of that, I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve. And that's 300 bucks. Here's a thousand dollars just for you. Now, see, God is just to punish us for our sin. You lie, you're a liar. You commit you you commit adultery. You know, I mean, in your in your mind, in, you think in lust over a woman. That's committing adultery. You're an adulterer. You ever use the Lord's name in vain? You're a blasphemer. You, you ever take something from somebody that doesn't belong to you? You're a thief. And those three, those four that uh, you know that, that that are right there. You ever put anything else before God? You you know you you've got an idol. You know that's almost half of the commandments. And if you break just one, Jesus said it's better. It's just, just like breaking all of them. I, I'm a lying thieving adulterous blasphemer in 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 that sense I, you know that cannot get me into heaven no matter how much i do and paul recognized this he says i i was a blasphemer i was a persecutor i was an insolent man in first corinthians chapter 15 he says this about himself he says for i in first corinthians fifteen nine through 10 for i am the least of the apostles unworthy he thought of himself to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain on the contrary I worked harder than any of them though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me Paul made it clear he says yes I'm striving I'm working because of what God did for me not me not me doing it it's God's grace that did it for me and he's giving me the strength to do this In Ephesians chapter 8, verses 3 and 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let me give you a little bit of background information of who Paul was. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And uh, right before you get to the the top of chapter 9, at the end of chapter 8, where am I? Ah, here we go. You know, let's go to chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter 8. At the end of verse 7, chapter 7. And this is called the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was preaching the gospel. The people didn't like it. They took him outside. They threw him off a cliff. They started throwing rocks at him and stoning him. And as he started to die, in verse 59 of chapter 7, it says this, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when they had said this, he fell asleep. Well, you know what? I missed it. Verse 58. I missed it. Back up one. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's where I was trying to get at. Paul was, the, was Saul at first. These garments that they had to take off to stop them, you know, from, from hindering them to throw these rocks, and they cast them out of the city, and they laid these garments at the feet of Saul. Now look at verse, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Here's Paul. Paul is going up against this movement. This movement is anti-God. This movement is anti-Jewish. This movement is anti-temple. What do you mean you're going to worship on Sunday? Sunday, Saturday is the day of worship, not Sunday. What do you mean you're going to do? You're going to pray to Jesus Christ. He's not God. God is God. There's only one God. And what do you mean you're going to give your allegiance just to this man that we crucified? And he, his mind was set on doing what he really believed was right. And he wanted to persecute this church. He went to house, from house to house. He went to the synagogues. He went everywhere. And anybody that claimed to be a Christian, and as a matter of fact, the persecution got so bad, nobody can trust anybody. And the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but the way that they would identify themselves and they would all be standing there and they would ask people, says, you know, hey. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, I do. Really? Where do you guys worship? Well, we worship at this house. And you know what? The very next morning or that night, there would be somebody pounding on the door, and everybody would be arrested. And Saul was there dragging them off. And they would ask people, you know, how that? Well, you know, I told somebody. Who was? I don't even know who it was. I thought he was a brother. Well, we need a sign or a signal or something. If anybody asks you, are you a Christian? You know, what you need to do is step back a little bit and just draw an arch on the floor, just like that. And if he's a brother, what he's going to do is draw another arch on the bottom going back up. And that's where we get our ikthos, or our fish. The ikthos. And this ikthos was a symbol. If one person went this way with the arch, and the other one went this way with the arch, it created this picture of saying yes. And they would hug and praise God. Yeah, here's what we're meeting. We're meeting at James and Winter's house. <laughs> that's what we're meeting. Can I bring some tamales? Yeah, come on over. We're going to celebrate. We're going to worship. We're going to have a good time. And Saul was looking for these people everywhere he went, and he couldn't find any more. And look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, that's where I wanted to go from the first place. Chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. Damascus was about 100 miles away. It's going to take him a week to get there. And so, but he, he's, I mean, you know, he's breathing. I'm going to kill these guys. Oh, I'm going to tear these people up. And he's just fuming. Gnashing his teeth, hatred toward the people of God. Hey, and, and, and here he's just and then he goes on so at uh, Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called it at that time, uh, once again, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And that's what he was doing. And he was going to different places, he was going to different cities, he was going as far as he could, far and wide, to capture these God haters, is what he thought. And, and his mind was just set on doing this evil, but he thought he was doing good. He, his, his heart was so filled with this rage, but he thought it was a righteous rage, an indignation that comes from God. And, and, and he really believed, and his traveling, his will to do these things was his, his whole M.O. I'm, I'm going to get there. Give me some letters. And on the way, as you read the rest of this, In verse 4, he says, actually, uh, verse 3, Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He recognized that it was the Lord. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. At this point, uh, at this at this point, a man comes up to Saul and prays over him and says, "You know, you're healed. God has a plan for you. God, God started to talk to Saul. Saul was a Pharisee. We find out that he was uh, a Hebrew, of the Hebrews. He was he was a very knowledgeable in the law. He knew the Torah. God took all of that knowledge that he had." and infused jesus christ into his mind and after three years of studying in the wilderness he understood his purpose and his mission but people were afraid of him we know that guy (laughs) no 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 god don't 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 bring him over to here but you know what he came out and they started to persecute him and people saw his genuine his genuineness and uh, and that's what took place to Saul. And this is what Saul is talking about. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I I knew I was doing wrong. And you know what happened to him? He took an about face. This is called repentance. Repentance was where your whole world shatters, where your world paradigm, your paradigm, your, your, your view of the world, everything that you believe in, you now consider to be wrong. See, Saul really thought that he was doing right, but he was wrong his everything he wanted to do he was wrong every every emotion every thought all his will was wrong it was wrong it was wrong that's how you know that repentance has happened in your life repentance isn't coming forward and crying and raising your hand repentance isn't just coming to church repentance is a total change of life and repentance has to happen in a new believer you cannot be the same person if you're born again Somebody once said before that, you know, uh, the, the problem with these born-again Christians is that they're born again into what they used to be. <laughs> they're still, they still mouth out. They still cuss. They still lie. They still do all this other thing. And they go to church. And they say, oh, thank you, Lord. I mean, I don't know how many people you know like that, but I hope, I hope we don't get any people like that because that's not repentance. Repentance is, there's a whole change of attitude, of mind, of will, of emotion. And all these people that you do not want to be around, all those people that I had, I didn't want anything to do with, now I cannot, I cannot live without them. I, I want to be in the house of God. I want to be uh, preached to. I want to hear the word. I, I desire to be around my brethren. My brethren in church are more important to me than my family, my carnal family. I just want you to know that. And they know that. And they hate it because of that. They hate me because of that. I, you know what? I, <laughs> I want them to come along but they want to drag me down. and I'm sorry, I won't do this. And Paul says, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And so mercy and grace, as I said earlier, is different. Number three, I thank God, he says, for his amazing grace. Oh, and grace, I, I described that. You can't earn it. You can't even work for it. You can't come to church enough for it. You can't pray for it. Grace, by its definition, is unmerited. In other words, you do not deserve it. You do not deserve God's amazing grace. This is Paul's prayer. This is Paul's, you know, I am the worst of the bunch, he says. I I can't believe that he he found me worthy, first of all, and, and then to proclaim the gospel on top of that. Look at this verse in verse 14. And he says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace, it just, boom, overflowed. It just, you know, it just... Because God's love and faith, all of that comes from God. You have love. Yes, I know you have love for your fellow man, for your children, more than likely, and your spouse, I pray. Uh, you have faith. You, you jumped in a car and you came here. You, you had faith you were going to make it here. You're going to drive in a car and go back home. You have faith that you're going to make it home. Though you know that there could be this possibility of somebody you know, running a, a red light and something could happen. But you have faith you're going to make it home. And you have faith and you have love. However, the faith and the love that the Bible talks about for God is supernatural faith. You have to have this faith that you believe that God exists. Even though you can't see him, you have this love that you're going to love the unlovable, even those that you thought you hated. And this faith and love, it comes from God. It comes from him. He's the one that gives you this faith. Look at this next verse in your outlines, Ephesians 2, verse 8. This verse, we read it I don't know how you read it, but this is how it's written, and this is how it's stated. For by grace, you have been saved. Let me me pause there. Once again, grace, you didn't deserve this. You didn't deserve salvation. You don't deserve it, but God saved you because of his grace. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Because God saved you, he gave you the faith. And where does this grace and faith come from? The very next sentence, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God gave you the grace. God gave you the faith. You didn't do this. God gave it to you. God gave you grace. God gave you faith. You have now faith from God to believe. And and they're always used in salvation. And you cannot, you cannot, you cannot work for yourself into heaven. You cannot work yourself into heaven. You cannot pray yourself into heaven. You cannot say a prayer and say, okay, I'm going to heaven now. And, And this whole idea of the sinner's prayer. And this is going to rattle some of you, I know. But this whole idea of the sinner's prayer, that you've prayed this prayer, and now you're saved, and now you're going to heaven, its it's not a biblical concept. That's not the, what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches repentance. Repent and believe. That's what the Bible teaches. You need to be born again. And this is not something that you can do. Now, the sinner's prayer... When I, when I first recognized my, my need for salvation, I was a sinner. The pastor had me bow before his desk, and we prayed the sinner's prayer, and I was, I was saved. But it wasn't because of the sinner's prayer. God reached down into my dark, ugly heart and pulled me out of this miry clay, this miry me- mess that I was in, and set me on solid rock. And when that happened, I believed, and I had faith, and I prayed, Lord, and I was praying for him to enter my heart. He was already there. See, I was saved in spite of the sinner's prayer not because of the sinner's prayer. So I, I know this is kind of like, well, that's not the way I was taught. I taught you have to come forward, you have to confess, you have to know. And, 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 then, and then you got to choose to be saved. No, well, that, that's, that's now what John 3.16 says. Well, let's go to John 3.16. Let me show you something very quickly. John 3.16. I, I, I think many of you can probably quote it by heart, right? Hey, where are you going? Oh, just <laughs> I was just getting into the good stuff. <laughs> John 3.16. You know this one, right? Altogether, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There you go. It's right there. All I got to do is believe. All I got to do is believe and I'm in heaven. Well, did you know that the demons even believe? Uh, they believe. I, I, I don't think they're going to go to heaven. They believe that there's a God. They a matter of fact, James says they, they believe and they shudder. You do well. Uh, you believe in God. Well, great. You do well because even the demons believe. They know God exists. They have more faith. You know that Satan, even Satan's not an atheist. Did you know that? Satan's not an atheist. He believes that there's a God. He knows that there's a God. And that's what he fights against. So something else has got to be going on here. But it says here, whosoever, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it says whosoever. All they have to, that means anybody, right? Well, I mean, I, mean I, I guess you can put it that way, but that means then, then everybody can get saved. Well, we know that that's not going to happen either because that's universalism that everyone gets saved, even Hitler and Osama bin Laden and all these murderers and child rapists. All these everybody gets saved, but it's, it's, it's whosoever. All they have to do is believe, right? So there's got to be something more to this. And when you go backwards a little bit to John chapter 3, verse, well, verse 1. You know, because it's a lot of people start with John three sixteen and they end with John three sixteen, but they don't even know what the first part says. In John chapter three, verse one, it says, Now when there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, listen to Jesus' response. And tell me if this is a question that Nicodemus asked. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus went straight to the heart. Nicodemus is saying, we know you're from God because you're doing all these things that nobody else can do. And Jesus says, well, you know what? I'm going to tell you something else. You can't even see. You can't even begin to understand because you're spiritually blind. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You see, you have to be born again first and then believe, and then to see. You see, a lot of people believe, no, no, no. Don't don't you got to believe first and then you're born again? How can you believe? Well, let me show you, let me show you a couple other verses. You have to be born again before you can see. Look at look at John chapter 1. Just flip the page a little bit over and go to verse 12. I mean, doesn't it say you just have to receive Jesus Christ? Well, look at verse 12. It says here, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There it is. All I have to do is receive him. I raised my hand. I received him. I came forward and I believed. I did that. It was my choice. I did it because I really felt that I needed to do it at that time. I wasn't ready. I didn't want to. You know what? But the pastor was very persuasive and I came forward. I raised my hand and it was my own free volition. I did it on my own accord. You know, finally I says, okay, God, I'm going to give you a shot. Because I know that God wants me, and I know that Satan wants me. Eh, You know, I I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Okay, I'll, I'll accept, and I'll go. Because I did receive him. And that's where a lot of people stop. But look at verse 13. Once again, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, who were born not of blood. In other words, you weren't born into it. When you're born again, you you cannot be born into it. Not because your mama was a a Christian. Not because your daddy was a pastor. Not because your grandpa was a believer. You can't just, you know, it's just not because your whole house goes to church. Not by blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. You can't work for it. Your flesh can't work. You can't do enough for it. You can't pay enough for it. You can't visit enough people. You can't pray enough for enough. There's nothing that you can do. It's not by your flesh. Now, here's the kicker nor of the will of man your free will cannot choose god you can't receive god by your own free will not by blood not by the flesh nor by your own free will but by god and you ask wait a minute that's not what i was taught i I know i don't know but that's the bible teaches here let me show you some more verses very quickly why can't i number one because i'm spiritually ignorant john chapter one verses nine through eleven these verses should be up on the on the up here right john 1 9 through 11 john 1 9 through 11 it, it's coming <laughs> john, john 1 9 through 11 or, or you can look at it in your verses in your bibles as well the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him because they were spiritually ignorant they were spiritually ignorant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We have the spiritual discernment, uh, spiritual ignorance, I should say, and we don't have the ability to see God. Well, well, it, you know what? Also in John 3, 3, it says that we we're spiritually blind. Once again, unless one is born again, he cannot, 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 cannot see the kingdom of God. Why not? Because he's spiritually blind. I was spiritually blind. I knew who God was, but I was blind. I didn't want him. I wanted the benefits. I wanted. I wanted to be, you know... Uh, saved i wanted to be you know a good person look at second corinthians 4 4 in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that's why i can't see you cannot see because you're blinded to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god you know there's spiritual enmity is another reason why we can't see him in other words there's a spiritual hatred against god maybe you say i don't hate god well, John 3.20 says, for everyone who does wicked things, if I lied, I hate God, I'm doing wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Those of the world don't like Christians, don't like church. They're changing everything about Christianity, about the Bible to make it into darkness. They love the darkness. They, they don't want this exposing their sin. I didn't want this exposing my sin. I still shudder at the fact when it exposes my sin. But I don't run from it. I run to it. I ask God, "Have mercy upon me, Lord. Have mercy upon me for what has happened and what is done." And there's this, there's this hatred. Romans three eleven and twelve says, "No one understands. No one seeks for God." All have turned aside together. They have all become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. I mean, he says this. No one understands. No one seeks God. No one, no one, no one, no one. Not even the pastor. Not even the president. Not even the pope. That's no one. Because we have this hate. You know. And again, this hatred. It's either a very obvious, I hate God, or this passive, eh, I'm just not going to do what he says. That's all. Well, that's disobedience. And when you disobey God, you don't like him. You hate his word. There's a spiritual defiance. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. What is Jesus Christ saving you from? The wrath of God. That's what Jesus Christ is saving you from. He's saving you from God. Because until we're able to see this ignorance that we have, this hatred that we have, this enmity. Uh, let me go a little bit further. Uh, you, know, you know why we can't see God? You know why we can't see it is because we're spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses. A dead person cannot bring himself to life. But, but I, I, God is such a gentleman, he's not going to invade my life, isn't is that right? He's, he's going to ask permission. I have to ask him to come into my life, and he's going to ask permission to come into my heart. Doesn't he say that he's standing at the door and he knocks? He's knocking for permission to come in. And I'm, I've seen the picture. I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3.21. And you see the picture, and Jesus is there with the lantern. He's got his cloak on. He's got this sad face. Please, please let me in, let me in. I want to come into your heart with all my life and everything because I love you. I died for you. I want to. I don't know if I want to let you in yet. Stay there. I, yeah, I'm not done yet. I'm still partying, you know, and, and that's the picture that we see. And as a matter of fact, Take a close look at that picture. There is no door handle on the outside. Giving the impression that you have to let him in. Which, by the way, that verse is right in the middle of a church that Jesus Christ is talking to. Those that are already saved, or supposedly are saved. And he wants there to be this regeneration. He wants there to be this... this, this uh, this salvation being preached from that church, stop doing what you guys are doing. No, we're in disobedience. We all want to stay disobedient. There are disobedient Christians. There really are. That has nothing to do with salvation, but more the reprimand of a church that doesn't want to let Jesus Christ in. And they're spiritually dead. Not the church, sometimes the church, but more the person. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. You know what, You know why we can't see and we, we can't be born again? We can't see the kingdom of God? It's because we're spiritually unable. No one, Jesus said, now th- this should clinch it. This is coming from Jesus' lips. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one. You can't just say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to accept your free gift of salvation. Not unless God, said, say, not unless God pulls you. It is not by your will. You know why you can't do it? Because we are all bondage to sin before we're saved. Jesus says in Romans 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You know, another reason is because we're bondage to Satan. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do the father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Beloved, there's only two. There's God and Satan. And either you are with God or either you're with Satan. There is no middle ground. There's, you cannot be in the middle. Well, I'm going to take my third choice. I'm just not going to believe in anything. Well, if you're not believing in God, you're believing in Satan. He's your father. Well, I thought all people were the children of God. No, they're the people of God. The children of God obey the son. The children of the devil obey the devil. But I'm not worshiping the devil. Okay, well, maybe you're not. But you're not worshiping God. Don't take the bait where they say, Well, there's, I'm going to make my own God. I, I met a person that says, Well, I believe in the universe. It's the universe that I look to and walk to. And the universe has helped me, and the universe is trying to get me going in the right place. It's only God or Satan. Ephesians 2:2, 2, 2, it says, In which you were dead in your trespasses, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We're in spiritual defiance. Why do you not understand what I say? John 8, 34, 43 says, It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You don't want to stand there. You, don't, you just. You know what? Don't talk to me. This is the state of every unregenerated person. We're plagued with spiritual ignorance. We're plagued with spiritual hatred. We're plagued with spiritual defiance. We're plagued with spiritual death, spiritual inability, spiritual slavery, spiritual bondage, and spiritual deafness. We cannot hear, we cannot see, we're dead. The Bible says in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes. Three sixteen, John. For God so loved the world He does. That He gave his only begotten Son, which He did. And whosoever shall believe in Him, well it's got to be more than just believing like the demons do, will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, in order for that verse to make sense to those that believe in Armenianism, which is, you know, the thing that I have, the free will, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, for whoever chooses to believe in him shall have eternal life. You have to add words to make it fit. But it infers that. Yes, it infers. It infers that anybody, I'm sure it does. And there's a lot of inferences made in the Bible, but you don't go and build a doctrine or a theology or a church based on an inference when you have all this other evidence and that's just part of the scriptures i mean you know paul talks about how you were predestined before he, he, the the world was began you know i mean there's there's just over, uh, over uh, so much information and if you want to know more about that we have a class that's going on right now it's called the doctrines of grace let me just very briefly just share this with you i thank god for his forgiveness This is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Why did he save you? So you can be an example. Why did he save me? (laughs) You know, so I can be an example. God knows what I used to be. God knows what, only knows what you used to be. He saved you so you can be an example. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. He wants to save the world. Unfortunately, not everybody's going to be saved. There's going to be some hard hearts. And uh, you just keep preaching the gospel. For the son of man, Luke 19.10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And the last thing I just want to share with you, I, I thank God. Period. There's a period there. You can write it in there, but I thank God. Period. To the king of the ages, immortal, in, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says in verse, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And Isaiah, he tells the people, I am the Lord, and there is no other beside me. There is no God. I equip you. Though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other. The Jewish people will always recite the Shema, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. The, to, uh, he says here to uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is no other God. There is no other God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's it. That's why Jesus Christ is one with the Father. That's why the Holy Spirit is one with the Father. That's why God is a triune God. He's one. And he's three people at the same time. Again, something I cannot grasp and comprehend, the Bible teaches, I accept it by faith. Just like I understand that God is going to uh, predestine some and others, he's not. Yet he's going to hold them accountable. He holds me accountable. He holds us all accountable because the gospel message is proclaimed how that works out in in his economy i don't know i really don't i i I cannot even try to begin to explain that to you how that works out that everybody is accountable as a matter of fact we're all on this wide road to destruction all of us but through that jesus christ died for his elect and it's a doctrine that is preached and proclaimed and shared in the word of god and you know if What we try to do is share that with others because Paul himself was on that wide road to destruction and God saved him. Let me ask you to stand. I know it's a lot to take in and I know it's a lot to try to digest all at one sitting, but I'm going to ask you to pray about this. Take these verses home with you and and meditate upon them and mull them over and, and look at what the Bible teaches about your salvation. Paul was the worst of the bunch. Some of you can probably stand there and say, I was the worst of the bunch. You know, I I can probably think you are. No, I know some of you. And and what God has done is he saved you and he wants to use you as an example of his grace. Father in heaven, thank you again for the, the glorious and the abundance of grace that you've given us. As we share in this Lord's table today, help us to remember what it cost on how you died on the cross, on how it was that You suffered and you bled and you died for sinners just like I. And Paul himself was was very aware of his situation. He knew that he was the least of all apostles. He knew that he was the chief sinner. He knew. He didn't say he was. He said, I am. And each one of us, Father, still live in this flesh of sin. And we know that the more that we live in your word, the less we can sin. So help us understand this as we apply this to our life today. Father, I pray that we look at our heart right now and, uh, and our commitment to you and what it means as we take this wafer and this cup and we celebrate your death until you return. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. All right, for those of you that are going to partake, just going straight back to the back, you'll find a, a wafer and a cup. We have what's called open communion. So as long as you've been committed. you are good.